Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. All right, well, today we're talking about God's power to transform anyone. That's what we've been talking about, the wonderful grace of Jesus that reaches even us. I'm going to try to do something that I haven't done so far in all these uh, 17 lessons, now 18 today, and that is to get through a whole chapter and some in just one Sunday. Um, But, you know, always I don't want to just rush through anything in the book of Romans or anything in the Bible, but I want to make sure we do it justice. But to be able to do that in 35 minutes You don't know how hard it is, okay? Um, But let's just talk about witnessing for Christ for just a minute. I told you last week about a young man at my job uh, before I became a pastor who just called me looking for answers and was troubled about so many things in his life and the sin really that had overtaken his life. He came and we prayed, and he actually did pray to accept Jesus as Savior. But there's another person at my job there that I tried to witness to, and it was my boss, and um, that was a little different. Um, I asked him one day, I just thought we had a moment there together, we were standing there all by ourselves, and, and uh, he had just come in, and so I said, <clears throat> what do you think happens after we die? And he just, just blurted out, his, just, you know, very uh, curtly, uh, we go in the ground. And I said, that's it? just go on the ground? He said, that's it. And he walked away. Uh, It was an obvious message to me. I don't want to discuss this. (laughs) I don't want to discuss this. Now, I don't know where he's at. I don't know what was going on in his heart. And sometimes, me thinketh thou doth protest too much, you know. Um, So something was maybe churning inside of his heart. Uh, We find that most of the time, people are receptive and willing to listen when we go out soul winning or telling people about Christ. But there are some people who seem to be so hardened uh, to what we have to share. It's almost like sometimes you'll be at a door and it seems like that person has an internal countdown, you know, clock. You're on the clock, buddy. You have seconds before I shut this door. I mean, there's times that the door's even shutting as you're trying to speak. Uh, This is what the typical Jew was of Paul's day. And our day as well, really, the Jews. They've hardened themselves, for the most part, to the message of salvation through Christ. There are just certain reasons, for whatever, that they feel that they cannot just accept Jesus as the true Messiah. But it's very clear that the New Testament, in the New Testament, that it was God's intention that the Jews would receive the message of the gospel, the fact that Jesus came to save, that they would receive that message first. And then the Gentile. Remember our theme verse in Romans 1:16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, Warren Wiersbe called that phrase, to the Jew first, a ruling principle of operation. Jesus began his ministry with the Jews. He, for a while, forbade his disciples to preach to the Gentiles or to the Samaritans. He sent them first to the Jews. 
after Jesus' resurrection, he commanded them to wait in Jerusalem and start their ministry there among the Jews. In the first seven chapters of Acts, the ministry is to Jews and to Gentiles who were Jewish proselytes. And then, uh, and then the nation, they, uh, w- when they stoned Stephen and persecution just took hold and broke loose, God sent the gospel to the Samaritans and then to the Gentiles, Acts chapter 10. And then we see in this account here in Paul's final days, I want to highlight something for us before we launch in here. Paul's final days of his life, he was imprisoned in Rome. And in this prison, it was a low security prison, if you will. And it was a place where people were allowed to come in and have conversations with the apostle. And so here's what happened. Acts 28, I'm going to read this to, to you. And so follow along with me, if you would, please. Acts 28, starting in verse 23. And when they had appointed him a day, that is Paul, a day, there came many to him. Now these, we're going to find out, these are Jews that came to him. There came many to him into his lodging to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that Paul had spoken one word. Here's what he said. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah or Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people, that is the Jews, is waxed gross or calloused or hardened, and their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you, listen, that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. So when we look around our world, this is exactly what we see has happened. The Gentiles have embraced the word. By and large, it's the Gentiles today, not the Jews, who are following this Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. I looked up this week the, who the majority uh, are that go, the tourists that go to Israel. The, the majority is Christians. Christians are paying the bills for Israel. <laughs> Why? Would millions of Christians travel to a dangerous area full of Jews and Muslims? Because these Christians love Jesus and they want to see the place where their Savior lived. They want to feel the place where their Savior lived. The point is here that the gospel has been sent to the Gentiles, that we are living in a time where the gospel has been sent to the Gentiles really instead of the Jews. We're entering the part of the book of Romans where Paul explains how and why God is doing this. In chapter 9, leading up to this point right now, as we talked about last week, Paul has been building to this point. This this whole chapter is about uh, bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. It's a national uh, blessing he's been talking about that's leading to this, all the things that took place with Israel. He explained that God, throughout history, has chosen to do things that we wouldn't expect. 
He chose Isaac instead of Ishmael. He chose Jacob instead of Esau. He chose to use Pharaoh as a vessel of dishonor. But even in using Pharaoh, a rebellious person, God still was able to use him to get God's will done. So if God wants to send the gospel to the Gentiles, Paul has made the point, then who can stop him? All the unbelieving Jews of the world can be just like Pharaoh. They can deny and reject God. You can do that, but it's not going to stop God's plan to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and to the entire world. All the unbelieving Jews of the world could could try like Paul used to, but they're never going to succeed to stop God in doing this. And that's what Paul will prove here that uh, to the Jews, Romans 9 all the way through 11, throughout through the Old Testament scriptures, Paul is going to show that God has had this plan from the very beginning, actually, that the Gentiles would be part of this great number. By the way, in chapters 9 through 11 here in, in Romans, Paul quotes 45 Old Testament passages of scripture. That is a lot. And this is when you know he's trying to prove something to the Jews uh, through who love the Old Testament, all right? And sometimes when you see him cite a passage, I want to explain this before we go in here, Sometimes when we see Paul, if you're digging through this very carefully, you'll, you'll hear him cite a passage of Scripture, and he will quote it slightly different than it appears in the Old Testament, in the original. He will also apply it differently than it was applied in the Old Testament sometimes. And th- now listen, as an apostle and as an inspired writer of the Scriptures, Paul had the authority to do this. God gave him that authority, he was able then, by, through the Holy Spirit, to show us the wider interpretation that God has intended for us to know about these passages. So, here's what we're going to first look at, and that is a time of wide welcoming to the Jews. This is that time. Romans chapter 9, verse 23. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So again, he'd already shown in chapter 9 that they're going to be saved and unsaved people. There's going to be vessels of mercy that God uses, and then there's going to be vessels of hardening or wrath that God is going to still use. God can use both to accomplish his purposes. Which one will you be? Will you choose to accept his mercy, or will you be a vessel of dishonor? Uh, for, but for those vessels of mercy, they receive the riches of the glory of God, as it says, which God has prepared for them. Who are these vessels of mercy? A Jew might ask. And Paul, is, Paul a Jew might say, Paul, you're speaking about the Jews, right? Those are the vessels of mercy. Those are the ones that God loves. And Paul says, uh, no. Here's in verse 24, God's intention is to, both say, is to save both the Jew and the Gentile. The Jew and the Gentile. Now this was a big issue in the early church. There there was even a church council that met about this issue in Acts chapter 15. Some were saying that if the Gentiles, the Jewish Christians, were saying, if the Gentiles want to be part of the family of God, then they need to be like us. They need to be circumcised. They need to keep the Mosaic, parts of the Mosaic law. And uh, and then then they'll be part of the same family. But wisely, at, as the council met, the judgment came down that the, they do not need to do those things to be saved. Absolutely not. But it shows, that whole picture shows the struggle that the Jews were having. Can we really accept 
these Gentiles and bring them into the family and give them, and, and that God would give them the same family inheritance that he's going to give us. Can we really accept that? So Paul is going to show them and us that the Old Testament has actually been talking about this the whole time. God has had this plan the whole entire, the entire time. He's always wanted all people to come to him, all people to come to him, not just the Jews. Look at verse 25. As he saith also in Osi, or Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Now this is Hosea 2.23 and 1.10. The prophet says, You Gentiles may not have been called the people of God, but soon you will be called the children of the living God. Children of the living God. Well, that is a comforting phrase. I love that. God calls you, as a born-again Christian, the child of the living God. What, do you say, what did you say you were worried about again? <laughs> what did you say you were worried about this week? You are a child of the living God. That might change the way you look at things. If we would just every day say, thank you, Lord, for making me a child of the living God. By quoting this prophecy, though, Paul is saying that this time has come. God is calling Gentiles his people. They're, he is calling them children of the living God. It's time for the Gentiles to have this. So then, is God abandoning the Jews altogether? The Jews might ask. Paul addresses that next. Verse 27, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, Except the Lord of Sabaoth, or host, the Lord of hosts, had left us a seed, we had been as Sodoma or Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. Paul is quoting Isaiah 10, 22 and 23 here. He's saying that God is not going to completely destroy Israel. He still has plans for Israel. In fact, he has a remnant. He still has a remnant that he's going to use. And here's the idea, that God is going to judge Israel for their disobedience and following and not following the Messiah here. And he's going to do this in his time, not our time. That's what he means by saying he will cut it short. He will cut it short. It's his job or his, it's his prerogative when he's going to do this, and God is going to cut that time short. But he's clear that God will always leave a faithful remnant who put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ. God is merciful not to wipe them completely off the map. He could do that. He could do that, but he won't. And if he did do that, it would be like Sodom and Gomorrah, but God is merciful. In fact, Romans 11, in the next chapter, or two chapters now, assures us that God still wants Israel to be saved. Look in Romans 11, verse 14. If by any means I may provoke to emulation or jealousy them which are my flesh, and, I'm, and might save some of them. God is pleading. I want them to be saved. I want every person to be saved. God is so merciful. He will even provoke his own people to jealousy with all of this stuff going on with the Gentiles just to save some of them. So what's, what's the deal uh, to the Israelite, you would ask? Why won't you just 
submit? Why won't you just accept Christ? And this is what now Paul launches into all the way through chapter 10. And that's why I wanted to take all this together. Right now, what we have is a time of stubborn stumbling stumbling for the Jews. Look in verse 30. What shall we say then, Paul says, that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, or why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were of or by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion, a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now Paul here is trying to get the Jews to think. Think. Think about this, Jews. The Gentiles weren't even trying really to attain righteousness. They're just living wickedly. And paying the consequences for living wickedly, like everybody will do. Then Jesus comes along and tells them, listen, I will save you from your sin. I will save you from hell. I am merciful that way. I'll give you the grace you need to rescue anybody. They know they need a savior. They feel that conviction, and so they put their faith in Christ. And they're just amazed that God would love them enough to send them a savior. That's the Gentile story. But Israel by and large, is trying so hard to win God's approval through the law. But they have not attained righteousness. So you have the Gentile story, who's, I've attained righteousness because I've put my faith in Christ. But the Jew story is, I'm just trying, 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 and yet I have no righteousness. The, 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 the right kind of righteousness that will get me into heaven. What's the deal? Because like Paul's been saving, saying throughout this whole book, Supernatural righteousness is by faith, not by works. That is the clear message from the beginning. It, that's it. And that truth is a stumbling stone for the Jews. They just can't get past the idea that a person must keep the law to be righteous enough to go to heaven. You can tell them till you're blue in the face, but most will not get it. Because of this, number three, and that is, this is a time of repeated rejection from the Jews. The Jews are trying to save themselves when salvation is in Christ. <clears throat> Paul has been saying some difficult and very direct things to them. He's putting it right on the line for them. He's being honest, he's being blunt, and saying, listen, you are just going after the law, trying to attain your own righteousness. But to be saved, you have to have a supernatural righteousness. God has to give that to you, and that only comes through faith. But Paul will, and Paul will not shy away from sharing them the truth because it is the loving thing to do to give people the truth. We just need to make sure, though, that our heart is in the right place when we give people the truth. Like Paul's, look at Paul's heart here, and that's why he's speaking so directly. Look at chapter 10, verse one. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That is Paul's heart, that they would be saved. Is that your heart today for people of this state and for people of this county? Sometimes we get so, 
so bothered by all the stuff going on around us that we need to come back for a minute and check our heart. Do we really want people to be saved? Is that our heart? Is that our end goal? Paul wanted his fellow Jews to be saved. I had one Christian tell me, though, that we should not actively evangelize the Jews. And I I was thinking, what? Where are you getting that? Because that doesn't sound at all like what Paul is saying. He deeply, deeply wants them to be saved, and he is giving it to them direct. And he knows exactly how they think. Verse two, for I bear them record, this is the apostle Paul, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Remember, Paul was one of them. A Hebrew of Hebrew, he said. A, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had once been the poster child of zeal without knowledge. Even terrorizing Christians. Can a terrorist accept Jesus Christ as his savior? The answer is yes. Paul did. He was a terrorist. Zeal without knowledge is terrible and sometimes a very scary thing. September 11th, 2001 is, a for, is an emblem, is a forever emblem of zeal without knowledge. People with zeal for their God ran planes into buildings. Zeal without knowledge. It's not enough for people to be sincere. Some people say, well, as long as a person's sincere and they have faith, that's, that's, all, it's, that's all that's necessary. No, 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 no. We need to have the right faith. <laughs> but we need passion also. We need passion and knowledge. That's a great combo, by the way. But so, Paul says to his Jewish friends, you just don't get it. And Paul, Paul is saying these Jews could not admit it. You know, when I was, uh, <clears throat> I, for a while there, I played racquetball. I haven't been back in a while, but I played racquetball for a little while. When I first started, I was playing racquetball, and I thought I had it down pretty good. I've not been playing that long, only probably a few weeks really, but I thought, oh, this is an easy sport. I got this thing down. I'd always just played with a few uh, guys that were, you know, 80, 90 years old, and I thought I was doing pretty good. <laughs> and uh, there was one other guy that was kind of a middle-aged guy, and I said, hey, uh, I begged him, would you play with me? Would you play with me? I see you playing sometimes. Would you play with me? So we got in there. Uh, we play to 15. The score is to 15, and so I was playing with him, and he let me go 14 points. So I had 14 to zero. I thought, man, I am so good at this. My goodness, I just picked this up so easily. And he was just waiting and waiting and waiting. He knew. He knew that I was just horrible. And he then just wiped the floor with me. He was just messing with me. I, I realized I had zeal without knowledge. I had zero ability. He knew things that I didn't know. Paul is saying the Jews just cannot admit that. Jews, there are things that you just don't know. Accept it. Be humble. Take it. And that's what I want to beg people sometimes. Please, just admit that you don't have knowledge. You may have just, you, you have a bit of knowledge, but you don't have the whole thing. Verse three, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. See, the Jews were going about to establish their own righteousness. If God sees me doing good, he'll let me in. Take the Sabbath law. The rabbis, they 
they made it unbelievably difficult to keep the Sabbath. God said, remember the Sabbath, but the rabbis took it and went to the extreme. The Jews, the rabbis said exactly how far a person could walk on the Sabbath day. They also said you could lift nothing uh, that weighed more than two dried figs. It was also said that you cannot cook any food on the Sabbath. It was also, you know, by, uh, anyway, we, we, we recently went to a Seventh-day Adventist uh, uh, museum thing that somebody had had at their house, and they were showing this, us this kitchen, that the special place where you won't keep food warm because they weren't allowed to cook on the Sabbath. It's very, it's very true, and people still do it to this day. It was, it, they were told that in the event of sickness on the Sabbath day, measures might be taken to keep the patient from becoming worse, but you really couldn't make him better. <laughs> to this day, there are strict Orthodox Jews and who will not poke or mend a fire on the Sabbath day or switch on a light. If a fire has to be poked, then they get a Gentile to come and do it for them. <laughs> If a Jew is wealthy enough, he'll sometimes install a, a timed light switch so that he doesn't have to do it, and on Sabbath, it'll, it'll go on by itself. We laugh at that, and we look at that, but Paul says, no, that's what that is. is it's zeal. It's zeal without knowledge. It's, it's, it, there's an ancient story of Eliezer the priest in the old Jewish days who refused to eat pork. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, who hated the Jews, he said, you will eat pork. I'm commanding you to eat pork. He wanted to wipe the Jews. He just did this out of spite. But Eliezer the priest refused. So he was beaten until almost dead, but he still wouldn't eat. And, and they tried to force it down his throat. He would not do it. So they burned him alive simply because he would not eat pork. That's zeal, but not according to knowledge. The religions of the world are doing these same things every single day, all over the world. They're trying to establish their own righteousness. Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, many, many in the Catholic religion as well, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, and some Seventh-day Adventists. Listen, we cannot establish our own righteousness and then be accepted into heaven. We can't. It doesn't work. Notice here what it says. To be saved and receive God's righteousness, we have to submit. You have to submit the Bible also talks a couple times, and we'll see it here in a few minutes, about obeying the gospel. See, there's a sense in which we need to stop being so arrogant and just accept that this is the truth. I obey God and stop trying to st save myself. I obey the gospel. I just simply have to believe. It sounds so simple, but humility is the key in salvation. Verse four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now this verse does not mean that Christ ends all need for the law. That's not what it's saying. It means that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. In other words, putting your faith in Christ ends the concept of trying to gain God's supernatural righteousness through keeping the law. And Paul's teaching here is nothing new. It's not like he's ushering in this brand new teaching. Look what he says, verse five. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ from the dead. But what saith it? 
the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Paul, quote, Paul quotes here Leviticus 18.5, and his point is that the Mosaic law makes it clear that if you're going to be saved doing the law-keeping thing, if that's your goal, then you must live by it perfectly. You cannot have one error ever. And if you break it one time, then you've broken the law. This is, of course, impossible for a human. And God knew that before he gave the law. The law has many purposes that are still in effect, but never was it the law's purpose to save a person by keeping it perfectly. That's never been God's goal with it. If that were the case, then no one would ever be saved because God knew no one could keep it perfectly. And that's why then Paul quotes in Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14, he's showing that being saved is not a complicated or impossible thing. That's what this is all about. What he's saying is it's, it's not something that you, to get saved, it's not something you have to travel to heaven and then get, and then somehow get this salvation and to bring Christ down and be incarnated again and do all this. It's not like you have to somehow do this. And you don't have to travel into the realm of the dead and get Christ to come up and be resurrected again. It's, it's, not, it's not that complicated. Stop making it so complicated. And that's what Paul's trying to tell the Jews. You're making this thing too much. The main point is here, verse seven, the word is nigh thee, it's very close. It's even in your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith, that's all it is. It's as close as your mouth and your heart. It's just putting your faith in Christ. That's it. Being saved is so simple that a child can understand it. My testimony is that I put my trust in Christ when I was four years old. Even with the very four-year-old limited understanding that I had, I still remember that moment that I prayed and asked Jesus in my heart. I fully believe that children can be saved and should be saved. I love this. Paul has given us all this huge complicated book. Romans is a complicated book. By the way, even the Apostle Peter said, the things Paul speaks are sometimes hard to understand. <laughs> and I agree, Peter. They're very hard to understand. But, so Paul gives this theological teaching in Romans, and it's so, man, it's so amazing and deep, and the theologians spend their whole life discussing it. But then he boils it down to this one amazing statement here that is so simple, and we use it constantly in soul winning. And this is the whole purpose for this verse 9 here, in verse 9 and 10. This is amazing. He boils it all down. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Amen. That's it. Paul boils it all down to this. Verse 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And I, I love these verses. It's as simple as this for the entire world. No matter where you are, in any place, in any village, in any hamlet, it's the same message and it's always the truth. In essence, your mouth confesses that Jesus, and this is what's required to be saved here, your mouth confesses that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Lord. That means he is God. You have to admit that Jesus is God. You have to, in your heart, believe that Jesus died and rose again, as it says here, for our sins. 
And if you will do that, and if, and if you have done that, then by the authority of God's word right here, thou shalt be saved. That's it. You are saved. Some people, like the Jews, can't believe it could be that simple. No, 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 no. They think there's no way God can let people off the hook that easy. Even some Christians struggle and call this easy believism. They say that witnessing and going out there and praying with someone on the spot that you've just met to accept Jesus Christ, well, you know, I don't don't know if that's not a good idea. We can't tell people they're saved. They may not be saved. Hold on a second. I've heard people criticize Pastor Mike, Evangelist Mike Robinette for this. But let me tell you something. He is not the first one to make accepting Christ simple. (laughs) God is. The Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, he asked Philip. Philip came to him. The Ethiopian eunuch was kind of just reading. Philip shows up, and and they're talking. And then right after he accepts Jesus Christ, the, the eunuch says, there's some water right there. Should I just get baptized right now? And Philip says, let's do it right now. Now, should Philip have taken him to discipleship class first? Uh, I know you want to get baptized, but hold on. Let's see if you're really saved. Let's just go, go through a seven-step program, and then we'll make sure that you're okay. Then we'll get baptized and make sure this is the real thing. Uh, discipleship, discipleship class is a wonderful thing, and people, everybody should do something along those lines. But that's not for, to be saved. In this case, Philip said, let's do it. What are we waiting for? Yeah, you may not know everything, of course, but you know enough. You've confessed with your mouth, you've believed in your heart, so let's do this. Of course, we don't know who is a genuine believer when we go out soul winning or accept or you know, give the gospel. Of course we don't. We don't know whether they truly believed or not. That's between them and God. But if someone tells us that they've confessed with their mouth and they've believed in their heart, then who are we to judge? We can just rejoice with the person. The problem is that our minds struggle because this just seems too simple. And it's true, it is simple. But we're not saying it's easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus to come and face suffering, pain, and death. But he did that so that, every, so that it would be simple for every man, woman, boy, and girl. If we had to get to heaven by our works and doing things, then why would Jesus have come and died on the cross in the first place? Verse 11, for the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Paul quotes Isaiah 28, 16 here, just believe and you will not be ashamed. Anyone who believes is guaranteed to not be ashamed or disappointed when they die. Even if you're ashamed and disappointed now at times. Not then. I think of Paul witnessing from a prison cell like we just talked about. He might have felt a little ashamed at times. He didn't look like the spiritual victor sitting in that cell. People coming to him, Jews coming to him saying, why are you, in, I mean, is Jesus really worth this? He's hungry and cold. Does this seem like a victory situation you got yourself into? But whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. Paul's day of rejoicing was coming. And I didn't mention here that whosoever, the word whosoever is a key word in this verse. Jew, Gentile, whosoever, whosoever. Salvation is for anyone who will believe, it says. Whosoever believeth, not just a limited group. Verse 12, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is over all, is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is Joel 2.32, again the Old Testament passage that reminds us how simple it is to be saved. Whosoever. 
Paul is saying, you Jews should know these verses. You should know these verses. God's been saying this the whole time. Then the natural question is, verse 14, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. We use this verse and it calls to evangelism and it is it's truly that. But it's, it's more pointed toward Israel in context here. And let's look at this in the other direction. It all begins with someone who's sent. This is God's chosen method to get the message of the gospel to the entire world. He starts by sending someone. Jesus said, verse, John 20 and verse 21, as my father sent me, so send I you. Every follower of Christ is sent. Every follower of Christ is sent. Am I sent? Yes, you're sent. Christ sends us. We preach. They hear. They believe. They call. And they're saved. That's the pattern. That's God's plan, and it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It's multiplication. Did you know if one believer won a soul to Christ every year, if we each won, if I won one soul to Christ every year, and each person that's led to Christ after that leads a, a person to Christ every year. So now what we're doing is we are doubling every single year. This is multiplication. In 30 years, one billion people would be saved. Whoa. One billion. It's the power of multiplication. It's you're sent, you go, you tell, they believe, they receive, and, and that's how this thing works. And it keeps working, and it keeps working, and it keeps working, and that's why you're, you and I are sitting here today, Gentiles in, in America. Now, it may not always work like that. This, it may, not everybody's gonna receive, we know that. But this is how God intends to get the gospel to everyone. God sends you and me into the highways and the hedges to preach the good news to sinners. As I close here, I, we're not gonna get to the end. <laughs> yeah. We can do this one-on-one. -on -one. We can do this through dramatic presentations. We can do this through music. We can do this through crusades. We can do this through revivals. <laughs> and because our message is so refreshing and it's so life-giving to people, when we go out and we have a burden and we tell people who need it so much, here's what's going on in their heart. They say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. That's the meaning of that phrase, that, that verse. See, the, the message of Jesus is so refreshing to a sin-sick person that they just see it as such a beautiful message that saves their life, and how beautiful are the, is the person who would come and bring me that, that message. This is what God wants every one of us to do. He wants us to all have beautiful feet to bring the message that people need so desperately. Lord, I pray that right now... We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.